Hey guys, what's up? Week 109 here, and uh, I think my camera is a little off or a little different. Maybe I felt like doing something different. I don't know. I even thought about going to the other side of the room beyond these shelves, or these shelves, or it's these shelves. But uh, I guess we're going to hop into this and uh, start with uh, a new release by Olive Films. This is The Believers, made in 1987. Yeah, this stars Martin Sheen. This Blu-ray actually had it had a previous Blu-ray release from um, Twilight Time. But I think that one's out of print. And then, of course, there was an old MGM DVD. Now, this is a movie that I had seen for years, seen it around for years, and I always put it off. I don't know why. It looked interesting. I, I bought it two times before this release came out. So, you know, I always wanted to watch it. Finally got a chance to watch it. Um, the Believers, 87. It's that kind of cult horror movie. And I mean not like um, fan favorite or anything. I mean like cult. There's a cult involved. Uh, this movie runs nearly two hours long. And the real only negative about this movie is I think that the runtime is a little long. This kind of reminds me a little bit of the chan uh, the channeling, uh, the changeling, geez, changeling with George C. Scott about kind of like the drama of a lost loved one. Uh, this movie starts off with, it's not. I don't want to say it's a slight spoiler, but it is kind of a shock right off the bat but it's the main kind of plot structure of the movie so we have uh, a loving couple martin sheen and he's married and they have a kid um a tragic accident happens which is one of the weirdest uh, you know on paper you would be like a coffee electrocution accident with milk you would laugh you literally would be like that's stupid but the way it's portrayed is just kind of disturbing and it has that kind of pet cemetery vibe in the beginning where it feels lighthearted and almost tv like family friendly and then all of a sudden something horrific happens and you're like that just makes it feel even more horrific, if that makes any sense to anyone. So Martin Sheen is kind of lost. He moves to New York City with his young uh, son and moves into this nice apartment. Across the street is you know, kind of the attractive uh, landlady. So they start to have a little fling as well. And all around town, there's these weird kind of superstitions going on. Martin Sheen plays a police psychiatrist. So he helps police officers and he gets involved because Robert Leosia uh, brings him in to kind of examine this uh, police officer who practices kind of Santeria. Um, or yeah, Santeria. And, uh, it's played by Jimmy Smith, who's in a bunch of stuff, Tommy Knockers, anyone. But he starts to dig deeper, realizes that there's this strange kind of cult happening in the city. I don't want to spoil too much on, on exactly how it unfolds, but it's kind of complicated and a little convoluted, to be honest. But besides that, the acting is really uh, well done. It has a lot of character actors and a lot of familiar faces that people will be pl uh, pleased to see. Richard Mashur pops up in here. Harris Eulin is in here. Of course, Martin Sheen, Robert Leosia. So it's got a really strong cast, and the cast really helps the movie. And I, I love how they use uh, Richard Mashur as probably the only lawyer on screen uh, ever that is actually likable and probably the best actor and character in the movie. I don't say actor, but, you know, best character in the movie. You really like him. Uh, there's some really creepy stuff in here, and the movie has, like, a mean streak, which kind of surprised me. Like, it doesn't pull its punches. It doesn't do anything to be family-friendly. There's It involves child murders and all these kind of things, and you dig deeper, and it is super dark. Like, the idea of it is just, like, ungodly dark. My hair's driving me crazy right here. It always does, but it's time for a cut. But it just it's a super dark idea and super dark film in general involving child murder and allegiance to strange ideas and things. And it incorporates kind of bugs and snakes at points, which, uh, and, and you know, you want to roll your eyes at points. You're like, oh, we're doing the, you know, you know, mysterious, uh, un, uh, understandable, weird religion. But they also kind of uh, had things with Catholicism in here as well. Dark movie, uh, 
very much a thriller at the same time as being a horror movie. More so probably a thriller than a horror movie. But uh, the the performances in here are strong. It's a well-made movie. It's a nice look at New York City in 1987, which is cool. And uh, I like that it you know, follows the cops around and everything, too. But there's some dark imagery in here. There's a great shot where they go to a murder scene, and uh, there's a lot of animals that have been sacrificed in these uh, weird rituals. And there's a shot of this goat just floating in the bay next to this uh, dock. And I was just like, that is the stuff of nightmares that our nightmares are made of. And the ending, there's a couple twists at the ending, and sometimes you're like, ah, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But the very end, you're like, that is a really strange way to end this movie, and a really uh, dark uh, kind of dark way to end this movie. But um, there's a lot of little kids in their underwear, which is unpleasant, but besides that, it's just the time they did that kind of stuff a lot, but every time I see Little Kids in the Underwear, it goes back to that scene in Clown House, and I'm just like, what's going on here? Every time. But uh, The Believers, there's nothing actually on the release except a trailer. There is uh, subtitles, and at one point I did notice uh, when there was a driving scene with Richard Mishur and um, Martin Sheen where it started to, like, it, it lagged a little bit. I don't know if that's in the film or the Blu-ray or what it is from, but I thought it looked pretty good and sounded pretty good, and it, it's a decent release from Olive Films. Glad to see they're back doing other things, but uh, that's The Believers. A solid, you know, late 80s kind of thriller horror movie involving cults, and it has some uh, very, you know, it does have some very memorable scenes, and I think it's worth checking out for sure. More than anything else, Cal Jameson wants to leave the horror of his old life behind. Now, in his new life, he's about to discover that the real horror is just beginning. Don't you come any closer! Did you see what they did to the kid in there? You said he found a body on an altar about a religious paraphernalia, right? A religion as old as time. One life from each of us count. Versus an unimaginable force for evil. This ritual's being performed now. One life is all the answer. Nothing can stop them. It's a power you can't imagine. Want them to know who you are? Do you? What have they done to you, Sean? I can't move. No one can help you. I got my shield. Don't you get it? You looked into his eyes, and you both saw the power of the man who killed them. Jessica! They know who you are. Chris was chosen, Cal. When he found the shell, it was a sign. We want you to join us. Chris! Chris! Alright, the next one here is from Cult Epics, and it is Blue Movie. This is a movie from Amsterdam, and they released a couple from Amsterdam. And uh, what Cult Epics releases the stuff from Amsterdam, like Obsessions, uh, they all have almost like a kind of historical impact as well. And I don't see any other company releasing this kind of stuff, to be honest, especially from Amsterdam. There's just not, I, I'm not really strong in that kind of cinema from that, from that part of the world. And the, their tone and the whole structure of the movies are strange to me. Um, Blue Movie, I believe, probably is kind of a cult item due to its highly sexually explicit content. It's not necessarily porno, but it's pornographic, if that can make sense to anyone. So 
Originally, I think people probably watched Blue Movie, not necessarily because of the social things in the film, but more because the graphic sexual nature of the movie. But as uh, the special features state, the son of the lead actor in here has an interview on there. He basically says his interest for the movie now includes is, is due to the social aspects of the movie. And I can really see that when you're watching this movie. And it's kind of interesting to watch these older films because a lot of the older films that had sexually explicit stuff, there wasn't just, you know, it's not just straight screwing for the sake of screwing. There's a, there's a little bit of social stuff in here too, and that could be interesting. So we have this 25-year-old man who is in a, in a couple of these movies I watched previously, I believe Obsessions, and there's another one. I'm not sure if he's in Obsessions. He's in, geez, I can't think of the other one, but he plays kind of a loser. And this guy tends to have a niche for that kind of acting. He's pretty good at playing a loser. So he um, has recently been released from prison. He's 25 years old. He just served five years for some weird kind of sexual act that was looked down upon when he was put away, and now he's out. He had sex with a 15-year-old. So right away, the character's in this gray area for the audience. You're like, he was 20 at the time, and he's he, at 15. You're like, I don't, oh, I don't know what's going on. And, and you feel a little gray about the character, so... He's, uh, the first part of the movie involves this parole officer who's kind of a, almost a comedic element. He's always following him around. He's very highly concerned for him, almost like he wants to be his best friend. Also appears in a, another movie with him. I know it's uh, the previous one I watched from Amsterdam. I can't, I can't believe this movie's drawing a blank on me, the other one. But so there's like this comedic element with the... Uh, landlord always coming in and the most inopportune times for our lead and that kind of plays a little bit of comedy here but there's also this social issue where he's in this giant he hooks him up in this giant apartment complex where there's a lot of women and they're all like sex starved so he starts to sleep around almost immediately with married women and all sorts of other women but he has his eye on a certain woman and it becomes strange there's a there's a point in this movie where it jumps in time he's like a voyeur so he's doing these kind of creepy things but you never hate the guy even though you never perfectly side with him and the sexual acts the movie are pretty explicit. I thought that was kind of uh, surprising. Uh, you know, I, I, the, it looks like they're actively having sex. I really do believe it's real sex on camera. So there's all that going on. And, and that's like uh, the way they shoot it is not always just like it's not shot like a porno film or anything like that. It's just shot like people having sex, which is weird. Uh, not weird like in a negative way. It's just, you know, it's so different compared to what you're used to seeing if you watch something that's pornographic nowadays. It's, you know, but it's not usually real sex. It's not usually shot in a realistic way or even a semi-realistic way. But... The lead actor, I think, is is kind of an interesting character for sure in the social issues that he's trying to blend in with society. And then there's this jump in the in the film where he becomes almost a completely different character, and due to his sexual exploits, becomes it uses it to his advantage. And it gets dark in a couple points in here too. And I don't know if it's a movie trying to make a statement about sex in general or how important it is to people or how important it is. It just or how. It's just weird. It's a strange like film that I don't 100% grasp everything about it. I really like the music in the movie. The music is, uh, you know, one of those, it feels like, you know, a great 70s movie like kind of score. Uh, the cinematography is really good, but the location helps. It's this giant, you know, huge apartment complex. So that, and the way they shoot it is really cool. And it's just a unique way to look how people live in different places around the world, how they have like the balconies with the block offs and stuff. And he's looking around to see the people have sex. It's, it's a movie that I really couldn't come to a conclusion of how how I actually feel about it at the end, but um, I, I think it's something that I didn't I didn't dislike watching it for sure. And I, you know, it's one of these movies that is culturally um, important to its country. And when it you watch it from a different country, you think you have to kind of take in some things in context, and you know you're not grasping 100% everything in it, if, if that makes sense to people. But uh, on here, there's some interviews with uh, the son, the lead actor's son, where he tells a story how he saw it on television with his friends, and they're like, "That's your dad. That's your dad." And he was like, 
Uh, and then he, he rewatched it again and he talks about it a little bit. That's interesting. And also such a, a nightmare scenario for somebody. There's also interview with the director on here as well. So that, that's interesting stuff. Um, I, I think it's a, a pretty, uh, nice, nice release. And it, I'm not sure how I feel about the movie hundred percent. I don't dislike it at all or anything. I think I liked the previous one where this character was in and I, I can't believe I can't think of the name. It's so embarrassing to think, you know, you watch so many movies all the time. But yeah, I think you, if you're interested in this kind of cinema, check out the trailer. You you might want to check it out. And I, I guarantee at the time it was something completely different. And you know, they don't really make movies like this particularly anymore at all. So um, that's Blue Movie. This is Blue Movie, the film where so much to do is. Een Blue Movie betekent in Amerika een pornografische film. Blue Movie gaat over het leven in een maatschappij waar pornografische films alledaags zijn. Het belangrijkste om te begrijpen, Michael, is dat je nog niet echt vrij bent. Michael komt na vier jaar weer uit de gevangenis. De wereld is intussen wel veranderd. De reclassering probeert hem te helpen. Hij krijgt een flatje. Oh, dat is mooi. Dat is heel goed nieuws. Kees Brussen weet alles over apen, maar begrijpt helemaal iets van mensen. Als je leven lang naar apen kijkt, dan weet je iets over mensen. En dan zijn er de vrouwen om Michael. Carrie Tepsen in de meest sensationele vrouwenrol ooit op film vastgelegd. Dus je bent eerst veroordeeld doordat je met een meisje sliep en later omdat je met een man niet wilde. Ine Veen. De grote liefde van Michael. Ursula Blaut, Monique Smal, Marijke Boonstra, Mimi Kok, Arlette Loomeijer, Monique Heinke, Rianetti, Wat is dit allemaal? Ik ben een zaak begonnen. Wat voor soort zaak is Michael begonnen? Blue Movie is het ontroerend verhaal van Michael die liefde moet vinden in een wereld vol Blue Movies. Blue Movie, de film waarover zoveel te doen geweest is, binnenkort in ons theater. Okay, the next one is from Blue Underground, and what can I say? This is the new three-disc limited edition of Lucio Fulci's New York Ripper with the lecticular cover. You like that? Um, regardless, I'm a uh, I'm a big uh, Lucio Fulci fan, obviously. Uh, he did stuff like Zombie, The Beyond, City of the Living Dead. Um, if you guys haven't seen a Lucio Fulci movie, you are definitely missing out. New York Ripper is considered to be Fulci's most sleazy film, to be honest. Um, this has been remastered in 4K, similar to what they did with the Maniac and Zombie releases. Those are great releases. This one is also a great release. It's, it's packed with features. But let me get into the plot of the New York Ripper. Uh, takes place in New York City, of course, and we're talking the heart of the sleazy New York City, 19, early 80s, so it's gritty, it's gross, there's trash on the streets in almost every scene, very similar to like something like Maniac, if you'd seen that one, of course, but, you know, uh, so we have uh, mad slashers going around attacking women, and we have a police detective who is very um, apathetic and a dick, 
who also having an affair with a prostitute who's on the case, he kind of brings in this, uh, you know, psychiatrist or, or psychoanalyst. I don't exactly know what his degree is. Like I said, I get, you know, psychiatrist and them all mixed up. So he has to help, you know, develop a kind of a, a look at who this killer is so they can, you know, narrow it down and find out who it is. He starts to say the killer is highly intelligent and they like to screw with the police. And here's the kicker, guys. When the killer does screw with the police, he calls them and he uses a Donald Duck voice. Why is he using a Donald Duck voice? Uh, the ending will reveal that. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, I, to be honest, this is Lucio Fulci's, all his movies, to be honest, seem to have a, a bad mean streak to him. I love Fulci. And his, all his movies have, you know, uh, you know, a flair for, you know, either kind of like, showing something for what it is or just being particularly mean about something and this one is one of the most mean-spirited movies and this was one of the movies that people would look at and say horror movies are generally misogynistic um on the release uh, we have troy Howarth and kim newman uh, both on different supplements of course troy is doing the commentary and kim just talks about the film they talk about it and they they break it down and they both seem to think it's more all along the lines of misotropic um uh just generally mean-spirited over being um, misogynistic. And I would agree to a certain extent. Um, it's just that usually serial killers in general, and if the movie's about a serial killer, they focus on women. There is points in this movie that are particularly overly sleazy and uh, other characters that are really sleazy and disgusting, and they do exploit women at the same time. There's a really weird scene involving a foot and masturbation under uh, <laughs> a table where you'll just be like, I can't believe what I'm watching. And th this one obviously was heavily censored. It made the video nasties list. And, and the UK did not like this movie. They wanted it out. They it, they gave it the Henry treatment, what they gave it over here. It's like we the whole movie. It's the whole movie. It's in general the tone and everything about the thing. It, it's, just, it's just all around, you know, vile. Uh, the special effects are top-notch. The kills are, like I said, highly mean-spirited and uh, sometimes really hard to watch. Uh, this movie probably has one of the most mean-spirited kills I've ever seen in my life, involving a razor blade, a nipple, and an eyeball. Of course, you got to have an eye mutilation scene in a Fulci movie, or it ain't Fulci, baby, right? It ain't Fulci. But, uh, yeah, this stuff is pretty brutal. Uh, the picture quality, I thought, looked great. I thought it sounded great. This is a score that I've heard a million times, and it's one of these scores I hear without the movie, so when it pops up, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is from this one. So it's, it's a very memorable score. Feels very New York. Feels very Italian at the same time. It's just a highly memorable movie in general, too. Uh, I would This would make um, a sleaze-tastic double feature with something like Basket Case or Maniac. It is the top five, or Street Trash, top five quintessential essential dirty sleazy New York movies and I've never actually seen New York at that time at all and this is what I imagine it's like so this is what the kind of impression that these movies gave to someone who was young and impressionable back in the day but I originally saw this pretty young I had the Vidmark VHS I was probably like 13 14 years old but uh, they talk about uh, Troy talks about how certain scenes were all mixed up in the original tape and even the DVD. So this has been all fixed in this one. And there, there's these weird little uh, points in here as well. Like people say, like like Fulci was like completely like you know just misogynistic and all around mean, but. There's points in here where Troy Howarth points out that 
the only likable character in the movie. He's a little smug, but it's the psychiatrist. And at one point, it's revealed that, uh, spoiler, he's a homosexual. And you're just like, that's so strange to put that in there. Uh, like, that all these people have these weird secrets and anything. And also, it could be considered a red herring in the movie. Is, is it pointing to him as the killer? The reveal of the killer is kind of a, uh, you know, they leave it down to two people. And you're like, oh, no, who it is, who is it? And they have a bunch of red herrings, including all these different characters. And everybody's so sleazy and weird and kind of gross that that's how I always felt about Italian movies in general a lot of these like uh, giallos or anything they're especially faulty movies you're like everybody's such a weirdo or different or the camera lingers on them for 30 seconds afterwards and zooms in on their eyes am I supposed to suspect them as the killer are they bad what's even in like the beyond um, when the plumber comes in and he's like it'll it's like it's gonna take a while then it like zooms in on him and you're like what's going on with these two like and you realize like Joe that's his wife or whatever but it's just still like you're like is Joe the plumber up to no good and I always felt this way about all his movies and this one is no different i love it actually i think it's one of his best movies top 10 for sure uh, if you can get past like a lot of the mean-spirited stuff which I, I i don't you know hold these films in something where i'm offended by a movie you know uh i just find it interesting to a certain point how movies were made different back then and what you could get away with and what you can't nowadays or what you would be accused of and vice versa but the movie was kind of critically panned um and they, they mentioned that it is a well-made movie, which makes the, the subject matter that much more disgusting, which <laughs> is a compliment and like a backhand compliment. It's like, you can make a movie, but Jesus, you're sick. But New York Ripper, is it's loaded with features. It's got an interview with uh, Howard Ross on there, new, some new stuff too. So I'm saying like, it's got lots of stuff. And love the Troy Hoberth commentary, love the Kim Newman edition. And I always like these people because... Um, uh, unlike me, they can actually bring weight to something like saying, hey, no, maybe it's just all around mean-spirited instead of just focusing on women. But there's a lot of cruelty to women in the movie. But this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I'll gladly drink it. What do you want? To dedicate a murder to you. Sacrifice a woman exclusively for you. So she's got on silk. Nah. <laughs> she's like her, don't wear nothing, right? Hmm? Oh, I was wrong about the bag. But she sure wants to go for a little ride. Somebody called for you. Yeah, who? Guy with a strange voice. Said he called you back. He sounded just like a duck. Just like a duck? The guy who attacked her is our friend who calls and talks like a duck. Well, made his first big mistake. Yeah. Anyway, we've got all five boroughs alerted. We'll also inform all the radio stations. Shouldn't be too hard to find a guy missing two fingers in his right hand. Pour down, cop. <laughs> you don't think I'm missing a few hours to let you pinpoint me with your 
with your stupid Tracy machines, do you? Till the next victim. So you think he'll do it again? Oh, yes. He used a very sharp knife, rammed it into her vagina, and hauled up on it as hard as he could. A little hasty, but as butchery goes, perfectly effective. Okay, the next one is a double feature from Mill Creek, and this is Mind Warp and Brain Scan. Hopefully that focuses for you. I realize I got the autofocus on my face on this one, too. I am a screw-up today, guys. I am a mess-up. But uh, let's start with Mind Warp. This is a late 80s movie. i never seen Mind Warp. Um, yeah. This was also released by Twilight Time a while back, but I think that Blu-ray is out of print. This, like I said, the the double disc from like Mill Creek or the release from Mill Creek are always affordable, eight nine dollars. So if you don't want to take that big deep, you know, you fork over twenty thirty dollars for a Blu-ray and you want it in HD, they're always a good way to buy them. But Mind Warp, this was a Fangoria Presents movie. And I actually had never seen this one. I'd heard years and years like, oh, this movie is junk. This movie is terrible. In reality, it's kind of like Total Recall. This actually was made in the 90s, not late 80s. Sorry about that. This was like a, a kind of a riff on Total Recall, and uh, The Matrix would use some of the same ideas later on. So it's in the future. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic world, and everybody kind of plugs himself into this uh, virtual reality kind of or fake kind of world. that it, it feels very Cronenberg. You plug it right in the back of your neck, and you're into whatever you want to do. Um, this doesn't feel... This, this leads to emptiness in one of the characters. Uh, basically, a daughter whose father disappeared appeared and she's with her mother so they basically stay plugged in all the time that's not good enough for her and uh the machine that operates can can kind of sense this so it, it basically tells her you want a venture you want something different i'll show you something different and it, it tosses her out of the program into the real world so she wakes up in this post-apocalyptic wasteland that's similar to mad max and she's attacked by these weird gross mutants that look like they're wearing rejected freddy krueger mask or they're like leftover like a special effects freddy krueger mask so just toss that on and we'll throw some extra warts on it and, and disguise the freddy mask and there's a bunch of these of course the only person who seemingly normal in this radioactive world is Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, of course, comes to her rescue. And this one's a little different. Bruce Campbell's not his typical goofy self, although he does get a little go a little crazy at the end. He feels more reserved and he feels more like a genuine action star, which I like seeing. Bruce Campbell's always solid, always good, and uh, good to great, always. So um, I wish I could say the same about the lead in this movie. In the very beginning, the lead's very shaky. When she starts to scream and getting put into more horrible places, she gets a little better. But in the beginning, I was like, this is pretty rough. So 
what happens is Bruce Campbell and uh, the lead in this movie get kidnapped by the underground mutants and they're thrown into this world. They dig these tunnels so they pull them underground. They're they're dug into this world where she uh, is going to be, I think, uh, put into this weird kind of uh, place where they're going to suck out like and make her force breeding because they can't breed anymore because everybody's impotent, impotent because of the radioactivity and Bruce Campbell's forced into labor by these weird, like the weird creatures. Uh, meanwhile, what's going on here is that in the water, there's these weird uh, parasitic creatures there's two a male and a female and they get in your body and uh, they eventually lay uh, worms in your brain so that's going on at the same time um the lead in here figures out that the leader of these monsters is not somebody that she doesn't know. Spoiler, kind of. Not spoiling too much. Uh, it's played by Angus Scrim, who's wearing this Leatherface mask, uh, this Leatherface-style mask. And Angus is great at this movie. So um, it, it's cheap. It's low budget, you can tell. But there's some really cool concepts in here and uh, the idea that it is kind of like Total Recall but also the <laughs> Matrix seems like it stole from it and everybody's like the Matrix is the greatest movie ever made and you know it's probably stealing from just Philip K. Dick stories in general but so we have that going and then we have a nice little post-apocalyptic deal going at the same time. We have Bruce Campbell. We have Angus Scrim. It's like, come on, that's that's kind of cool. And on top of that, we got some gnarly gore. I'm not kidding. There's like head choppings and dismemberment, dismemberments, and almost like over the top splatter. Like not dead alive caliber over the top, but it, it tries. It, it has an honest attempt at being gory and splatter filled. It has some fun effects. It has people getting ground up. I was happy with this. You know, the ending is predictable. You know that kind of thing is going to happen, and all you can do is roll your eyes. But they set that up right from the beginning so if somebody's like you know i don't really like hold that it's not like it was the best movie ever and it was so deep and meaningful and then it gets to the end and i'm like oh come on but i you know it's gonna happen that kind of sets up for that kind of deal when they're doing that kind of virtual reality thing and it's kind of funny that it's paired up with brain scan of course with that you know but I was happy with it. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, nice to see Bruce Campbell lose his shit at the end uh, and some really fun effects involving the worms uh, and some gross baddies that get stabbed and hacked and chopped into pieces and cannibalism, but it's just, it's fun. It's not a perfect movie, but you knew that. It's something that you'd watch on the Sci-Fi Channel in the 90s and be pleasantly surprised. Like, hey man, I just watched Doll Man vs. Demonic Toys, Seed People, and Mind Warp. And it was a pretty good Sunday afternoon. Or it was, I was sick at home from school and I watched a bunch of sci-fi movies on the Sci-Fi Channel. I used to love the Sci-Fi Channel. That's before the <laughs> CGI kind of took it over. But I'm just being a hater right there. But Mind Warp, check it out. It's You could do worse. It's fun. day the earth died a new reality was born everyone gets exactly what they want everything is fake the human race split apart the lucky ones went to inworld the rest were left behind <laughs> What the hell is happening? Crawler's got you. Cannibals. Crawler home. For one woman, trapped in the universe of her own mind, there's only one way. What do you want? To escape. All I want is... There's something real. <laughs> Turn on. Plug in. Drop out. Mind work.
part dream, part nightmare, the ultimate head trip, mind warp. All right, guys, the next one. It's funny. It's Brain Scan, of course. I actually have the Shout Factory release of Brain Scan, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. I was just like, okay, I got this double feature. I haven't even opened my Brain Scan from Shout Factory. So I, I put this in. I can't compare the quality of them, but I do know the price difference. I think I paid $20, $25 for the Brain Scan, and this one is dirt cheap. So, And you get Mind Warp if you're interested. But if you really like Brain Scan, you probably go for the Shout Factory, obviously. But okay. Brain Scan, directed by John Flynn, of all people, who did The Rolling Thunder, which kind of blows my mind. It follows uh, young Eddie Furlong. Everybody knows Eddie Furlong. This is, you know, early Eddie Furlong. Terminator 2 Eddie Furlong. So, yeah, he, he's actually really good in this. He um, is a young person that has, uh, he, he's kind of left alone a lot, you know, similar to The Gate, where, like, his mother's dead and the neighbor of The Gate and his father's the only one and he's never around. Kind of also like the last one, how they had the loss of a father. This one has the loss of a mother. So she's kind of all, he's all alone. Edward Furlong's all alone in here, and he's obsessed with horror and gore and video games. Him and his friend, that's all they do. But also, Eddie Furlong is a warrior himself. There's a next-door neighbor he's obsessed with, a young girl, and he takes pictures of her. And okay, so he hears about this game called Brain Scan, and it's supposed to be the next-level horror stuff here, okay? So Eddie Furlong orders it, and uh, to his shock and horror, it might not be a game. It might be more than a game. So uh, enter the trickster, who is this virtual reality kind of character that pops out of the game. And he takes him on this adventure. And he realizes that he's supposed to commit all these murders in the virtual reality game. But they start to really happen. And that's when Frank Langella who is excellent in this movie, um, gets on his case. He's a police detective. So it's a small town hit by murders, and he can't tell what's reality and what he's doing. And the game starts to manipulate him and have him go towards people he loves. That's the plot of this movie. That's the setup. That's pretty much the whole movie, really, to be honest. Edward Furlong's really good in it. Uh, Frank Langella steals the show as the detective. Um, I actually love him, and I've always seen him in a few movies, but every time he pops up, whether it's something like Dave or uh, Masters of the Universe where he plays Skeletor, he is usually the best part of the movie. He's just a, a very intimidating actor, but also somebody who just knows how to, you know, deliver his lines in a powerful kind of commanding way. And he's a little bit intimidating. Uh, I, I love that. So this whole town kind of goes into a panic and, and there's this gimmick where, you know, Edward Furlong had hurt his leg earlier, how he lost his mother in a flashback. So, you know, that he has this limp. So he's always dragging the limp. Uh, and there's some comedy in here, obviously. It's very Freddy Krueger. The character of the trickster is very Freddy Kruegered up. This is like, what, mid-90s? So we're talking like ladder Nightmare Down Streets where it's like, we got to find the next Freddy. And so it's all these cheesy one-liners. He even does the thing. I don't know if this one came up before or after Freddy's Dead. Probably after where he breaks off all his fingers. They tried to kill me. He's like, try that, try that. I'm like, come on. That's just too on the nose, to be honest. But I don't mind it. I don't care. I grew up in that time, so it's blind nostalgia love for that cheesy 90s stuff that came before Scream. I love that stuff. Everybody's like, horror was terrible and dead. I'm like, I like Brain Scan. I like Nightbreed. I like those kind of movies in the 90s that were just a lot of people consider trash, you know? So, you know, it's nostalgia. A lot of it probably is nostalgia. But I think I really like this movie. And the score sticks with me, too. I always, the score always stuck out to me. It always got stuck in my head. And I just like the look of the movie. 
I like the you know the idea of the movie, even though the virtual reality effects are terrible. Uh, there is a good uh, murder sequence right in the beginning, and they kind of abandon that, and there's not really that many murder scenes later on, which are kind of a, a little disappointing. But there is some overall chaos and uh, stuff like that. Uh, and of course, there's a twist with this virtuality stuff. You kind of kind of expect this, and the the stinger at the very end in the mid credits, you're like. That's what we're doing? Okay. You know, like, there's a stinger in the believers, too. And you're just like, wow, that's crazy. And then brain scan, you're like, okay, whatever. Um, It's just like they know that they were like, hey, you know, maybe this didn't happen. Or maybe it did. And you're just like, we get it. We get it. But um, I really like this movie, like I said. And it also has the guy who voiced Magneto on the the TV show X-Men, the cartoon. He's in this, and he plays a teacher who hates the horror club in a, in a reminiscent scene of Monster Squad. So, you know, it's definitely, like, plays to the, the thing, too, that, like, horror fans are going to be watching this, and uh, horror fans at least wrote this. So, you know, it's playing into that, like, you know, the kid in Neon Maniacs that loved the horror movies or the Deadly Spawn. I, you know, I might be a sucker for those. Like, I roll my eyes at first, and I'm like, here we go, Neon Maniacs, Deadly Spawn, the kid who loves horror movies, creep show. But then, like, I'm immediately into the movie. So, like, it's such an easy way to pull horror fans in. And at times, I know I roll my eyes. I know it's stupid. I know it's a trope. But I'm like, okay, but I'm still in. So, I like it. I think it looked pretty good. Although the subtitles on here are definitely from the TV version. Because he'll be like, God damn it. they be like, God dang it. And the subtitles are like, what's going on here? So, they're not just, the subtitles don't really match. Uh, it's from the TV uh, version for sure. But uh, better TV subtitles than no subtitles. Um, there, there's subtitles on both of them. But that is a double feature of Mind Warp and Brain Scan. I like them both. But I love Brain Scan. Um, nostalgia for the win. <laughs> Please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Trickster. What was that film you were watching? Death, death, death. Death, death, death. Part two. Oh, Lord. Michael's seen it. Go for it, man. Done it. Played it. Look, I've played them all. And just when he thought he'd die of boredom. Brain scan. The ultimate experience in interactive terror. Never leave home without it. <laughs> You're in the game, man. You're in control. You must think like a killer. Cover up any clues. Leave no witnesses, no evidence. A challenge he can't resist. It was so real. It was sick. See, I told you, man. I told you it would blow your mind. A game he can't escape. There was a grisly murder in the quiet suburban town of Mountview today. So you did it. What was on that disc? It's not a game anymore. Hamilton and Hayden. It's real. It wasn't supposed to be real! Real, unreal, what's the difference? I didn't kill the man. I didn't even know him. You're in this now. You won't survive on your own. You started this and now you're afraid to finish it just like you're afraid of everything else. I won't kill her! Shoot her! The witness has to die. Edward Furlong, Frank Langella, and introducing T. Ryder Smith as the trickster. Brain scan. I can't wait to see what you do next.
Okay, these next two are from the new line of Vinegar Syndrome Archive, and this one is called Savage Harbor. I had actually never seen this movie, or never even heard of this freaking movie, aka Death, Death Feud. I love these hard cases, they come right out the bottom like that. Yeah, Savage Harbor, guys. Yeah, I can't believe I just did the devil horns just on instinct because of this movie. Uh, this is a late 80s uh, exploitation movie starring, and on the cover, it has two familiar faces, but they're not the faces you think they are. It stars Frank Stallone, brother of Sylvester Stallone, and Christopher Mitchum, son of um, Robert Mitchum. So that's what we're going for here. Okay. This movie is pure, unadulterated nonsense. And when people are like, I love movies so bad, they're good. Like, um, what is that one? Uh, Furious Men or whatever it's called. That's just really dangerous, man, which is just pure terrible and not good because it's so bad. It's just bad. This one is so it, it's so it's good because it's so bad. We have these two uh, guys who work, you know, they're like sailors, uh, Frank Stallone, and Christopher Mitchum. And they come in to port in this town, you know, every six months. Of course, uh, Frank Stallone falls in love with this uh, kind of uh, ex-junkie uh, prostitute who escaped a, um, from a crime boss during a shootout. So they fall in love. He goes out. They're going to get married. He goes out to sea again, comes back, and she's been kidnapped and rehooked on drugs by the baddies. So this puts Frank Stallone on a mission to find out where his uh, fiance is and rescue her and take out the bad guys. Um, the bad guys are super cheesy, super ridiculous. They're all cheesing it up, chewing the scenery, saying ridiculous things, being awful monsters. And one of them is one of my all-time favorite character actors ever, Nicholas Worth. And he's got a few scenes in here. I love Nicholas Worth. I think he's really great. I think he knows when to be over the top, and I think he knows when to reel it in. This one, he is over the top. I think he's really fun in it. He's not in it as much as I'd like, but he has a few good scenes. The main bad guy is like a, your typical kind of Italian, uh, you know, looks like he's in Florida but he's in New York I think this I can't believe this movie I can't can't remember where it took place in I wanted to say Florida but maybe it was California I don't know but regardless it doesn't look where it takes place and maybe it's New York but it doesn't feel like it to me because the the main bad guy's wearing like a, a Hawaiian shirt I'm like this feels like it's like in Florida but I don't think it is. Um, so, yeah, he goes after the baddies. There's a couple decent shootouts in here, one in the beginning and one at the end. There's some explosions. There's squibs going off. There's like there's familiar faces throughout, like a couple of the bad guys that get shot. You're like, hey, it's that guy, or it's that guy from RoboCop and uh, Total Recall, or this guy's in this. So I was like, it keeps you interested. There's a lot of hilarious dialogue. It's terribly written, terribly written. Like you'll see uh, Frank Stallone like falling in love with the girl, and they're talking, and you'll hear like a little wind, and he's just like, do you like avocados? And you're just like, what in the hell? It's just almost like I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud a few times. I'm not going to lie. And um, the bad guys just crack me up at the same time. There's this one guy who's always smiling and he's just ridiculous and over the top. And when a lot of them get killed, they're like, oh, and they're like squibs. And then they don't know when to fall or it doesn't cut enough when they fall. It's like, what? I, um, I laughed a lot. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I mean, Mitchum and Stallone do the best they can with what they have. Same with Nicholas Worth. But at the end of this movie, there's a big shootout where a bunch of people get wasted. And it's gory. And uh, it's, it's like goes on for a long period of time where they're getting shot. And of course it has. You remember that like character from the early 80s, 70s movies that's a homosexual that everybody just refers to as faggot and keeps saying it? Like, hey, faggot. And you're like, wow, <laughs> it takes you back. Um, yeah, there's that character that's 
just become the blunt of all the jokes, and a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that's rough. And at one point, you hear Christopher Mitchum re, uh, call him a maggot, and I'm thinking, like, did Mitchum not want to keep calling this guy a faggot? I know that word probably really bothers people. I know it does, and I don't mean it in that kind of way right now. I'm just referring it to in the film, but like he says maggot and i'm like mitchum probably didn't want to say that word like that and then at the very end he refers to that character as one so i'm like why did he switch it there what's going on did he misread the script did he not want to read the script did he just get there and just not care like i don't want to keep saying this word man but uh stallone's over the top in it um and uh it, it's really stupid and really goofy and completely politically incorrect but i do like the idea that frank stallone takes this girl that is an ex-junkie prostitute and takes her back again and doesn't care about any of that he just loves her and wants her and you're like and at the end you're like that's kind of sweet compared to all this kind of stuff it's produced by this guy named uh rustum uh he produced some other stuff including uh evils of the night and evil town which i'll be talking about shortly and what's funny is there's this character in who pops up and he's a doctor and he's like he's an awful actor and you could tell he's like a, a middle eastern guy and that guy's name who produced this sounded middle eastern so i'm like uh, is that the is that the producer but no it is isn't the producer it's the producer's brother or relative because they have the same last name i just called it right when i saw him i was like that guy's too bad of an actor to not to just be an actor uh, so I, I knew it right away um so yeah there's a great interview with frank stallone on here frank stallone he, he was like it's so bad it's so bad. So me and my brother watched this and we were in, I was in convulsions on the ground. We were laughing so hard. And he was like, when you get actors who are like trying and it's a, such a bad movie, it's, it's usually pretty funny. And, uh, he was right. It's really funny. He's not, he just went on about it. Talked about making the movie. It was one of my favorite supplements. I stand it a long time. Oh, Frank Stallone is a, you know, he is actually a pretty good actor. If you guys watch anything, he pops up in tombstone as Ed Bailey. So it's not the poke fun at him or anything like that. Uh, he did his, best i love that he has a sense of humor about this movie that it's terrible because it's it's terrible in, a, in the best way like it's endearing it's 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 heart it's the trying they're trying to make a good movie they're not the filmmaker's not like hey this is a piece of shit who cares he's trying and that makes it good in its own way to me because i enjoyed watching it it's fun and it has nicholas worth in it that's enough i'll watch any movie with nicholas worth if you guys know me i love him paulie from dark man he's played kirk smith and uh don't answer the phone he's in city heat he's in tons of stuff so regardless um yeah this one's really fun the frank stallone interview is great I, you know i like him he's a great in a tales in the crypt episode he's great in you know tombstone he's in a bunch of stuff but uh i recommend checking this one out i can't believe it looks this good i was watching this and i was like how does this movie look this good i mean that's the shame of you know of blu-rays because we've got companies like vinegar syndrome making savage harbor look like the best movie ever made giving it the royal treatment and then like let's say a company will release like i don't know rob Hood Men in Tights. Not not saying that's a bad transfer or anything, but it just a, a average movie or something like Point Blank, and it looks like shit or it looks average, and you're like, eh, Vinegar Syndrome would have treated this movie better. But regardless, Savage Harbor, if you like this kind of stuff, you gotta see it. It's hilarious, it's entertaining, it's fun. This is crazy, man. This situation just gotten out of hand. Let's end it. Strange girls don't know her name, but she burns in my heart like a raging flame. Cold sweat breaks on my face. I can't ever. Take
Okay, guys, the next one. Also the same producer, um, and this is Evil Town, the Vinegar Syndrome Archive, Volume 2. So, I, like I said, I'm digging these cases. So, yeah, comes right out. The, this one right here, Evil Town. I had the VHS for years, and I never watched it. And I'm glad I didn't watch it for a VHS voyage, because now I got to watch it in pristine quality. Uh, yeah, this movie is strange. Oop, knock something down. But, you know, it's got your... Very typical, we made the wrong turn and now we're stuck in a world of hell plot going on. It stars James Keach, who I didn't even recognize at first. I was like, he looks super familiar. And Robert Walker Jr., who I was like, that guy looks really familiar too. He's in Son of Blob. Yes, or Beware of the Blob. And James Keach is, um, you know, brothers of Stacey Keach. He's in stuff like The Long Riders and a bunch of other things. So I was like, man, those kids look very familiar to me. So these kids make a wrong turn. They end up in this uh, small town where there's only, um, you know, senior citizens, which is kind of strange. Um, there's like two, three storylines going on here. We have these kind of mechanics that are kidnapping people. You don't know why. And you learn they're taking them to the hospital for some sort of experiments. We have the kids who are staying at these other old people's homes, and they're all tied in together. Then we have the doctors at the hospital, and they're they're performing these weird acts. It all ties in. It's all kind of um, you know involved in the same story. You can tell a lot of this stuff was reshots because it doesn't ever really come together. It's not a particularly gory movie. It's not a particularly well acted movie, especially the nurse in the hospital. Whoa, she's rough. She's pretty bad. But uh, besides that, um, you know, this, the concept is kind of fun. The concept is cool. It has, you know, the uh, secret to eternal life uh, going on in there, and I kind of like doing seeing that. I don't want to spoil too much, but. You know, a couple changes here. This movie could have been kind of a hit. And they're, they're on the release, there's a comparison to Evil, uh, Evils of the Night because it has a lot of the same setup. Unfortunately, it does not have Aldo Ray. Um, not Aldo Ray. Who is the guy? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, it's Aldo Ray and... Um Jeez, what's the guy? Neville Brand in it. It doesn't have those guys. It doesn't have those kind of old character actors. It has, like I said, you know, as the bad guys doesn't really have many people. Um, the old timer in this movie I had seen before, the main head doctor, but he is up in years in this, and you can tell. So the concept's really great um, about all these old people kind of stealing, you know, something from the young people to live forever. I like that. I like that the whole town's in on it. It's kind of creepy. I like that small town feel. It's an oddity. It's not a perfect movie. It's it's obviously a mess at times, but it does kind of, and then there's a, I wonder if the reshoot involves some of that nudity because there's a couple gratuitous nude scenes in here where I was like, eh, I mean, it, it's, it's forced, but it's not unwelcome in this kind of movie, to be honest, so... Um, it, it's obviously a little rapey in here, but they never really show the rapey kind of stuff. I wish that the kills were better. I wish when the bad guys got their comeuppance, they were a little bit more graphic because I like to see the bad guys get what they deserve here. There is one really cool scene involving a crashed truck where somebody's on the back of the tailgate, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice little stunt. Uh, but 
the idea is one of these movies that should be remade. It's a way better concept than it is a film. There's a lot like that, to be honest. I like the idea of science gone wrong or people performing crazy scientific experiments to benefit themselves. But at what cost? Um, regardless, um, I like the movie. I don't love it. It's right down the middle for me. It's definitely worth checking out, especially if you like kind of a... Uh, you know, small town horror, or I don't want to call it exploitation because it's not that, but it does have that kind of feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre set up, but just goes a completely different direction. Like, hey, we made a wrong turn and we're in hell. But there's a lot of movies like that, Evil Town kind of deals. You know, it's called Evil Town for a reason. But I think it's worth checking out. On here, there's that comparison, like I said in an interview with who? Is it the director or the cinematographer? But I can't remember. Um, regardless, I think it's uh, it looks pretty good and it sounds pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm happy to finally have seen it after all these years, but I don't think it's something I will be revealing visiting very much. We hadn't been in town five minutes when everybody knew who we were and where we came from. Satisfied now? Satisfied? Are you kidding? I'm coming back for some more tomorrow. <laughs> Let's have a drink on that. Oh! Okay, guys, the next one is a Patreon pick, and it is Gaspar Noe's Climax. I believe it's Noe. I've heard people pronounce it No, but I'm going to pronounce it Noe. Okay, Gaspar Noe is a crazy filmmaker, and, you know, I had seen Irreversible years back, and after Irreversible, I'm not going to lie, I was scared to watch I Stand Alone. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch I Stand Alone or Climax or, or Enter the Void or Love because... Damn, Irreversible was. I'm not. It's not a chore. I think it's a great film, but it was. Uh, it was a, a grueling test, to be honest. Um, the way it's filmed kind of made me ill. A lot of the things in it are just really grueling, and uh, ooh, it's just like, man, I feel like this is deteriorating my mind and making me awful person at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. Like you just like, ooh, the the way that's shot just makes me kind of physically ill, and then what happens in it makes me physically ill. It's just can't be good for you. I don't know if that's true, but okay, so let me talk about Climax a little bit. Um, lately, there's been movies a lot with like a lot of dance in them. Think of the remake of Suspiria, where they choreograph all these dance scenes and they're immaculate, and I realized how much I enjoyed that kind of idea of things. So Gaspar Noe has always been really incredible with his camera work, as far as I can tell from Irreversible, and Climax has some of the best camera work and wonders and choreographed stuff I've ever seen in a movie in general. The opening of this movie literally is, uh, the shots are either super simple or super complex. There's nothing in the middle. Everything seems like it's a long, hard-to-do one 
Connor or like a just simple uh, one frame shot with two characters in there, no cuts, them talking. So it's like either it's the simplest or the craziest shot there is. Like, and, and there's that difference between them that it might create a little bit of a jarring thing, but it, and when they do those wonders, it's like perfectly artistic. What we have here is like a troop of uh, hired dancers that are all hired to perform this, uh, you know, this dance, and they're going over rehearsals, and basically somebody spikes the food or the punch with some sort of LSD. That's the setup, and that's the the movie. It's like broken up in two halves, I'd say. The first half, uh, the first it opens up with all the characters talking, and the camera there's like 20, 25 of them, so it's hard to keep track, even though you start to realize who they all are, and they all say these things, and then um, the movie cuts into them doing this long choreographed dance that's in a wonder, and all the characters have their own dance moves. It's kind of unique to who they are, and then it cuts to like them kind of you know talking with each other, and you start to realize that there's these deep things you know under the surface that they have these feelings, and some people don't like people, and some people may have have these different love feelings or uh, things for each other and then when it gets crazy it turns into like this horrific movie like a horror movie almost where after the the punch is spiked it gets crazier and crazier and crazier until it involves uh horrific death and just horrific things it turns these people into monsters at points and you're thinking how can these people that some of them seem so genuinely sweet and good natured people or just regular people turn into active monsters and it turns into a damn nightmare. It is horrific. People are dying. People are going nuts. There's these wonders. These people's emotions come out and you're worried for these people's safety and you start to feel a little bit ill. You lose track of people. You real, And at the very end, you realize what happened to a lot of them and you have a lot of questions and whoa, wow, what a film. What an experience. I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was... Uh, Regardless of the story or regardless of what happens in it, I thought it was a feat of filmmaking that I rarely see. And I I can't believe I'm going to say this. I was thinking about the dancing and the numbers in the movie. I was like, man, all I kept thinking about, I had visual visual things in my head, like almost photographic memories of the scenes after watching it once. And that doesn't really happen all the time. I could picture, and I could still picture the people dancing and moving how they did in that film. And I don't know what that says. It's, I'm not a dancer. I don't really care about dancing. It's not something I'm highly interested in. But that was just something that kind of blew me away, how it was done and how it was well shot and how it was done in like one take and all these different things. And, and then how it completely turned into a horror movie and you see all these characters turn and all these underlining feelings come out to the surface. I thought it was great. I thought it was well shot, well made, well lit, well acted. And it's definitely dancers turn actors, not actors turn dancers, because you couldn't learn that dancing for a movie. And I'm saying that it's actually easier to learn how to act than the dance and the comparative how they dance in this. But great stuff. I actually had to order the Blu-ray from the UK after I watched it. I rented it on Amazon, but I was just like, gotta have that one. And I'm gonna go with the Arrow release, but Climax, great stuff. If you couldn't dance, what would you do? Mm, suicide. Ça représente quoi la danse pour toi? C'est tout pour moi. La danse, c'est tout pour moi. J'ai que ça. Est-ce que t'es euh, es prêt à beaucoup de choses pour réussir? C'est-à-dire? Oh, you're 
so good. You Thank liked you. it? I'm so happy. Uh, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, the next uh, Patreon pick was by Matt Brown, and he picked uh, a movie by, I'm not going to say his last name, Yorgos, the guy who did Killing of Sacred Deer and Lobster. This is Dogtooth. Yeah, I've had this sitting around for years, and I never watched Dogtooth. I never saw The Killing of Sacred Deer. This is a director that completely slipped by me. I had heard his name, and I was interested in seeing his work. It's just something that I never saw. Similar to, you know, how, like, I haven't wa- I didn't watch that many Lars von Trier movies until recently, or I didn't watch that many Gaspar Noe movies. These are directors that interest me. I buy a lot of their things and set them on the shelves to watch later. But they're experiences, and they're not easy watches. They're something that you're like, am I ready for this? Let's go. Let's see this. And um, Dogtooth. What a weird-ass movie. It's almost like somebody's experiment in uh, raising children in a weird way that to see how they'd be manipulated and act in society. We have a mother and father who are really strange, and they have three kids who are even stranger. Um, they seem to be completely isolated. They are taught things that shouldn't be taught. They are have this weird set of rules that no one else lives by, almost like aliens. And the father's the only one who goes out into the outside world. It reminds me of that documentary where they had those group of kids who all they had uh, was movies and there was like nine uh, family members and all they had was films. So that's all they did. And at the very end they get out and it just feels like that, but just way more dangerous. So they all follow these set of rules that no one would know except them. They teach them that certain words are different. And when words come up that they're not supposed to know, they tell them that there's something else. Like what, what is a zombie? It's a little yellow flower. And and very rarely do they have interactions with outsiders, except the son has a woman who comes in and sleeps with them. And most of these children are of a full age. They're almost all grown up. And there's these weird incestuous things between the family. Um, There's weird acts. And I don't necessarily know what to say about it in general. I don't know how to explain um, what all this means. Or basically, I think it's just kind of how you could completely screw someone up by teaching them the complete opposite. And uh, the human nature is a learned uh, action. But this director, like I said, I had heard of his other films and I had seen part of The Killing of a Sacred Deer. So he is into the idea of weird things and I'm not sure exactly anyone can read his mind. Uh, but this movie is interesting. It's cringeworthy. There's points where you're like, oh, mm, uh, I don't really want to see that where you know there's these actions that are happening amongst each other. They are 
you know, related. So at that point, you're it's really uncomfortable, and you just you're waiting for something awful to happen the entire movie. There's a scene where the mother and father decide to talk to each other, but they don't say any words, but they understand each other, and the subtitles come across the screen where they're just saying, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? Jesus, this is uncomfortable. Like. And just to, to imagine that a kid could have possibly been abused like this, but there's probably no place for in society anymore for them because they're so messed up. But at the end of the movie, it has some sort of climax, and they tell them all sorts of weird things, like there's a sibling outside the walls. They're not allowed to leave the walls of the yard, and so like they'll throw food over the wall for the other uh, the other child that you never see, and then all of a sudden the child's dead, and they have a funeral for the child. Just just weird weird things going on that I don't exactly know how to understand or or tell anyone about. But like I mean, it's not a poorly made movie it's well acted it has all that going for it and it's interesting to watch but it's just a cringy it's cringe inducing but not in that it's bad that's just uncomfortable it's a very uncomfortable film experience and uh you'll have to see it for yourself to understand if it's going to be something you'll enjoy but dog tooth wow Ο αδερφός σας πέθανε. Ένα πλάσμα σαν αυτό που εισέβαλε σήμερα στον κήπο τον διαμέλυσε. Το ζώο που μας απειλεί λέγεται γάτα. Είναι το πιο επικίνδυνο ζώο που υπάρχει. Όσο βρίσκεστε μέσα δεν κινδυνεύετε. Μόνο τότε ο οργανισμός είναι έτοιμος να αντιμετωπίσει όλους τους κινδύνους που παρεφυλάνε. παιδιά να πάρουν τα λάθος ερεθίσματα και να δημιουργήσουν το λάθος χαρακτήρα. Πραγματικά σου το εύχομαι. Hey guys, what's up? It is week five of Hammer Time. Do your thing. That's right, Hammer Time. I think it's week five. This week we got The Mummy and The Man Who Could Cheat Death. 
Both, I think, made in 1959, both directed again by Terrence Fisher. I think next week is going to be The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and Brides of Dracula, the second in the Hammer uh, Dracula series. So I guess let's hop right in this and start with The Mummy, 1959, starring Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, directed by Terrence Fisher, written by Jimmy Sangster. Man, does this sound familiar. Sounds a lot like Dracula and Frankenstein by Hammer, doesn't it? And the other one. And the other, like, four we did. <laughs> but uh, let's hop into this one. Um, I do like the story of The Mummy. Mm-hmm. And I will be honest, the first Universal Mummy movie, um, it's, a, it's a classic movie. I love Boris Karloff. You only get one glimpse of The Mummy. But when people think back on The Mummy, they actually, I think, are thinking of the sequels. Like, The Curse of the Mummy, The Mummy's Ghost. And I think this one kind of follows the sequels. Like, all those kind of Egyptian, like, storylines of the curse and everything, that is in the original movie. It's all embedded in my brain and the love story and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I was watching this movie, I was predicting, and this is the first time I've watched this one, I was like, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And this isn't based off the novel, the Bram Stoker Mummy novel. I don't think any of those are the movies, actually. Is it Mummy based? I don't think it is. Mummy? I think there was. Bram Stoker had a mummy, but oh, I don't. I, I don't know if any of that's ever been. It has been adapted before, but I don't know if any of the Universal or Hammer stuff followed that. I think this movie directly kind of mixed up the sequels and did its own thing. But uh, it's your typical story. Peter Cushing and his father and his uncle are on an uh, expedition. Uh, what are they? Jeez, I always archaeologist. Yeah. Yeah. Archaeologists. Okay, I always mix it up. I don't know who, who who's picking up what stones. They they go into a tomb, of course. They're warned not to do it, and they disturb the tomb of a princess. And this angers uh, this old religious guy. He's not that old, but he follows an old religion, and he awakens right. the mummy to carry out, you know, the revenge, the curse of the mummy. You got anything else to add to the plot? Um, I guess, it, you know, it's the plot of almost all the mummy movies I've ever seen. We go in here for the, you know, to understand, you know, where man came from, then some dead guy is upset about this. And there's the love story. There's the love angle. There's the love angle. Not as many um, scarabs as I would have hoped for. I was hoping for I more insects. I don't think I saw any scarabs. But they do incorporate a scarab in the 90s mummy, which is not a good movie, but there is a scarab, and there's some, like, thief that gets killed by this guy. I remember seeing that, and I was like, <laughs> what's the mummy? What's up with this scarab for 25 minutes? But, uh... Regardless, uh, you know what? Peter Cushing's solid in this one. And, and oh, remember that we were watching this? Like, what is up with them casting Peter Cushing as a like a young whippersnapper? I was like, yeah, I at don't this know. point, he's already forty-seven, and his father's there in the expedition. His uncle, they're like in right. their seventies, and they're like he's gonna be. He hurts his leg in the beginning, and they're mm-hmm. like he's bedridden and he's tent-ridden in the bed. Yeah, and, and they're like, <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The the uncle's like, you got to get your boy to the doctor to get that leg set. You know, it's like, oh, he's a young man; he'll be fine. It's like Peter Cushing is forty-five no. years old. It's... You want to uh, cripple him for the rest of his <laughs> life? Like he's got like a hundred years left. I know. He's right? literally half. He's already past middle age. Like Peter Cushing <laughs> was like fifty-two in the abominable <laughs> snowman. All right, guys, stop. Just stop. All no, right. he literally was like forty-five when this movie's being made. <laughs> and it's like, you want to cripple him for the rest of his life? So uh, they decide that he doesn't go back and he decides to carry on the expedition. His father is put into a comatose state because he sees something. We know mm-hmm. what he sees just by thinking about it. And uh, he's put into a, a mental asylum. And that's kind of cool. That's very God. Yeah. Kind of in the style of these movies. And Peter Cushing is hobbling around and his father comes to one day and he says, it's the mummy. It's the mummy. And we realize that this person who warned them about the tomb is back in their area in Britain and he has brought along a bunch of uh, Egyptian artifacts which are going to bring the mummy, played by Christopher Lee, yeah, and around I, to fulfill the curse. Right. And I, I like Christopher Lee in like the past 
flashbacks, but he did. I like him as the mummy, too, but, you know, he doesn't get to speak or anything like that. He's great as the mummy, and the mummy looks really cool, although he does does seem to change at times. Like, there's different makeups on there, Mm -hmm. but he does come out of the swamp, which I love. And I can't think of almost every Universal and Hammer movie, there's a damn swamp. I think back, I'm like... There's a swamp. There's a swamp in what Frankenstein isn't there? There's a swamp in the creatures. Uh, lagoon. The whole movie is not really a swamp, but it's a right. ball. It's like a lagoon. And then uh, the Wolfman. I know it's got to have a swamp. And the Mummy has a. There's just like in that Baskerville we watched. There was the swamp. There was the bog. The bog. You know. And I think that these are all the same sets. I yeah, mean, it's it's got to be all the same sets. Right. Like when I think in the Baskervilles where we do the sacrifice near the end. Um, I think that was the same tomb area that was in the was it the Dracula movie we watched. There's lots of tombs. Yeah, where there like is a tomb, a crypt. Lucy. Yeah, yeah, a crypt. That's it, definitely the horror. Dracula. It just it looked very similar. They just reoriented it. Um, I, I think that I love the Egyptian feel to it. Mm-hmm. I love when the mummy actually does stuff. He's terrifying. Yeah. And, of course, it has a storyline. It's very similar to the Dracula storyline, too, where he sees somebody that looks like a lost love and they control him. That was in, like, all the mummy movies I remember seeing. Yeah. That even happens in um, the Tales from the Crypt episode with uh, Jeffrey Jones. I believe it's the Tales from the Crypt episode, or is it Tales from the Dark Side, the movie? I think it's the Tales from the Crypt episode with Jeffrey Jones where the mummy looks similar. So the, the woman looks similar to who the mummy used to worship so you can pull the strings of the mummy. And, mm-hmm. and the mummy, like, is, of course, the juggernaut-style mummy. He's not like the mummy you see in the Monster Squad who's like a little weakling. He's like the Frankenstein monster type right. one, which I prefer. Um, mm-hmm. I like this movie. Uh, I think it's fairly decent. I don't think Cushing shines particularly in it. I think that the special effects are really good on the mummy. I think the squibs when he shoots the mummy are really cool. Mm-hmm. And when the mummy actually comes to kill, very sparingly he does, it's pretty good. And yeah, at the end... Good. At the end, the body count kind of rises, and it's kind of surprising how many people get killed at the end. They bring back a bunch of characters throughout yeah. the movie, and they start killing them, like the comic relief at times. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. This, I, you know, there's your little drunk guy. Um, yeah, and there's a police chief. The police chief. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was good. I really liked the, uh, the, the Egyptian guy. I thought that he was really fun. Oh, the baddie, who basically yeah. wants to revenge himself? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that he did an excellent job. Um, I do like the fact that they used that big guy from the last movie, The Hound of Baskersville, pops up in here. Baskersville. He was the. He was the, uh, <laughs> he was um, the drunk with the prostitute. Oh, he was in the. He was in the no, next one. He's in the next. Yeah, one. I'm getting him confused. I'm having hammer. Con- yeah, wait, was he drunk with the? No, he wasn't the drunk with the prostitute. He was a prof- uh, inspector. No, different guy. I'm talking about the heavy guy in the bar. Oh, I'm thinking Dr. Mortimer. Yeah, yeah, we're, okay. we're, that's the next okay, one. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go on but, the next one. Sorry, um, guys. Uh, that guy is in the next one, too. Both those guys are yes, in the next one. Yes, I do one. believe both of them are. All right, so uh, I like this one. Uh, I think it's has some slow parts, to be honest. I think that the beginning is really great, and then there's like some slow parts that go through, and then it picks up at the end. Um, I think it's one of the best makeups on a mummy I've seen. Yeah. Um, I like Lee because he's big, and he can portray the mummy well. Mm-hmm. Um, the flashbacks are okay. They do go on a little long. And they're, you know, the classic, they tug out his tongue and that whole thing that they used to say, you know how they used to get a brain out of a mummy's head and right. all that stuff. But I don't think they go that far. But I think it's decent. I think it's solid. I'm coming in at like a 6.25, 6.5, somewhere around there. I, mean, I like it out of 5. I give it a 3 out of 5. Yeah, that's around the same. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really just more so because it... 
maybe it has the same like shortcomings as Dracula, but you know all the things that they're going to do. You know all the truth. I was calling it. Remember that? It's like, well, this yeah. is going to happen. This is going to happen. Yeah. Oh, it's the mummy. It's this. It's this. It was like so predictable, but also in a comforting way. Right. But I, th- I feel like it makes the movie move kind of slow because you're anticipating this scene has to happen and yeah. then this For scene sure. happens. Well, then... Uh, I guess uh, there's four of these, by the way. There's four, four. Hammer Mummy movies. Gosh. I'm curious where they're going to take this. Uh, so I guess I'm going to go first with the Tear on Tape review, which I told you to. Did you place one for me? Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure I did. I don't think you did. I did. Where the bookmark at? Oh, it's a white piece of postcard. There we go. Yeah. Okay, The Mummy, 1959. All right. Uh, three out of uh, I believe this guy gives five, or he gives four. So three out of four, Hammer had a good sense to turn this remake of the classic original into an amalgamation of the story elements from all the Universal Mummy movies, resulting in a colorful, entertaining blend. Lee is powerful as the living dead, I can't say his name, Karis? I think it was Karis. Bandaged guardian of the tomb of his beloved princess, Ananka, who rises from a misty swamp to deal out an ancient revenge against those who defiled her tomb. Equally good as Cushing as the son of the chief archaeologist, and I'm not saying that world word. I can't pronounce this guy's last name, this girl's last name. Frunachin, it's, it's a French name, and I'm terrible with French names, as Cushing's wife and possible Ananka reincarnation. Somewhat slowly paced, but good action highlights and gorgeous color photography carry it through. What is that? How do you say that name? Right there. Fernel? Fernel? I say Fernel. It's got the damn E-A-U-X on the end, and that is always something that's giving me trouble. I need to hear that name pronounced out loud. I've embarrassed myself thoroughly, so your turn. Um, the Mummy, 1959. Stars. Three and a half. Out of five. Out of five. Okay. Unlike many Universal Mummy sequels of the 40s, in which Karis shambled around pathetically, this Hammer version, original title, Terror of the Mummy, captures the murderous ferocity of the gauze-enwrapped high priest as he stomps across foggy 19th century England, seeking the reincarnation of a princess related to archaeologist Peter Cushing, the man who desecrated Karis' tomb. Can I interrupt that? Sure. Well, I'll continue. I'll come back. His father did. Okay. It's Christopher Lee in the makeup of Roy Ashton, and he's wonderfully unstoppable. The scene of Lee rising from a bog is especially striking, directed by Terrence Fisher, written by yada, 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 yada. So, so the girl was the reincarnation of the princess, or did she just look I like think she her? just looked like her. Yeah. How could she be re- I do love when Lee rises from the bog. I, I love when he that rises from the bog. That reminds me of uh, Monster Squad, big yeah. time, because when the, um, the um, creature brings out Frankenstein's co- uh, coffin, it's just like... <laughs> I can't realize how good Monster Squad did on doing that. They're like, well, we gotta have a swamp in this. Mm-hmm. That's You know what they were thinking. Like, all these monsters come from the damn swamp of these right. movies. We gotta have it. So, yeah. Um, it's yeah. good. It's worth watching. for sure. I'm curious to see where the sequels go. I don't know where they're gonna go. So, I don't understand that book, though. Because, like, Lee wasn't after his... He wasn't looking for any reincarnation. He was just doing the bidding. Well, yeah, Lee was doing the bidding, and then when he rose and he saw her, and he had the one guy whispering in his ear to carry out the revenge, and she got right. in the way and looked like his princess, and she said, don't hurt him, he was like, yeah, well, you know, fuck this guy. Right. So, uh, well, I guess we're going to roll the uh, mummy trailer right here. We're going to wrap it up. Because ah! he's a mummy. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Egypt, 4,000 years ago, a land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. 
Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, the Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak, until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. Okay, guys, the next one of this double bill is another Hammer movie, obviously, and it is The Man Who Could Cheat Death, directed by Terrence Fisher. And this time it doesn't star Peter Cushing, but it does star Christopher Lee. Okay, um, do you want to give the story on this one? Is Dorian Gray? No, it's not. Yeah. Well, we were watching it, and I was wondering, I was like, man, I wonder if Hammer's got a Dorian Gray story. And then Kim Newman in the special feature is like, they didn't have a Dorian Gray story. Mm -hmm. but, and I was like... Intelligent man thought the same thing. Way smarter than me. I was like, I, no, I guarantee I wasn't the first one to think that. Oh, yeah. But this was a stage play, I guess, and Hammer mm -hmm. adapted it into a movie. And it does feel like a stage play. Very rarely. I mean, none of the sets are huge or anything like that. It seems like it could all be done on a stage. And it's oh, yeah. really driven by, what, three, four, four actors the whole movie? And there's definitely some familiar faces. The lead in this movie, I actually looked him up afterwards, and I was like, duh, no wonder he looks so familiar. The German kind of guy? Mm-hmm. Who uh, Kim Newman tells a very funny story about in yes. the, uh, special features. They, um, but um, the German guy was in the Guana with the uh, Tongue of Fire, the Giallo, and he's in a bunch of other stuff too. He plays like kind of the patriarch of this family, and he's kind mm -hmm. of a shysty possible killer himself. So yeah, he definitely fits that bill. He's kind of a sleazeball. So right. this man has been living. It's kind of a reveal, but he needs Sarah. Uh, it's kind of like. A, elixir or serum to survive for a long time and he needs a constant uh gland replenish he needs a gland switched out every 10 years mm -hmm. and he needs it asap we know there's killings going on it's not very hard to figure out who's doing the killings and i don't even really think it's a mystery no i don't think any of this is a mystery per se it's like 
he and a coworker, he and a, they're both scientists. They had yeah, know, his, him and his basically it would be his protege, really. But protege he looks much older than him. Yeah, um, they discovered the secret to eternal life, no illness, and it involves yeah. like replacing a gland every ten years. Very Lovecraftian. Yeah, if at and the Dorian end, Gray. if at the end of ten years, the, once the gland starts dying, he has to take this green elixir to stay alive. But it causes him to go like mad and violent. Yeah. Um, but it prolongs the gland for a couple of weeks. He said, I think like six weeks. He he has up to four weeks, I think, four or weeks. six weeks, four to six weeks to take the take the serum. But right. of course, he turns into like a crazed monster. Right. It's a story like Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Yeah. But it also has the weird art, so like little thing going on because he's obsessed with sculpting women, and it also mm-hmm. seems like a weird sexual serial killer, psycho weird shit where he like kills the women. And there's disappearing women, and the one doctor who's right. helping starts to realize that this guy has probably been... He's like, one or two coincidence. This time, no way. Right. So they are at each other's throats, and he wants... So something happens where he wants to look for a new doctor to perform the experiment. That's um, transplant. And, and that's, that's where Christopher Lee, Lee comes yes. in, who is also kind of courting the girl that our lead uh, is courting as well. So there's that definite competition there. When, and I think the sculpture aspect comes from, and maybe even the murder aspect, because he got the glands from, like, other men, like... Yeah, yeah. Because they show that killing yeah, in the yeah, opening. Yes. Um, he usually gets them, supposed to get them from cadavers, but... Right, and I guess... He, oh, he did. He was getting them from, from cadavers, but the doctor was, like, sick or something. He couldn't get them quick enough, He had so. a stroke, so, yeah. and, like, the gland went bad, but... Um, so he had to start killing. Yeah. But the, I think the sculpture and the killing of the women, because they, they express it, I don't think they like quite touch upon or go into detail about it. I think it's because he's lonely. Like, he, every 10 years, he has to reset his whole life. Yeah. And so what he does is, whoever he's, like, infatuated or in love with at the time, he'll make the sculpture of, and then I think he was killing them. So he could keep their beauty forever. So he could keep their beauty forever, like he's keeping his. And that's why he had the collection. Because like, he was asking, like, well, why can't you sell your sculpture in the beginning? Yeah, that yeah. Guy, he's like, I don't sell my sculptures. They're for me. But there's also something going on where they seem to be somewhat accidents if he comes in contact with Yeah, them. sometimes they seem to be accidental, too. Like, but he's just a creep. Right off the bat, yeah, he's, he's a creep. creep. He's yeah. a creep. Um, Lee is great in this movie. I Lee love Lee. And you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say this now. I always, Lee out of the big four, like I know people would throw Carradine as like the classic actor, but out of the big, like, I know that there's a big three, Price, Cushing, and Lee. I would throw Donald Pleasance in there too, even though Pleasance was like in everything and a, kind of a huge actor, not just a B-movie yeah. actor. But those four, I always was like, Lee's my least favorite of them. I love all four, but Lee is my least favorite. Watching Lee uh, not play like Dracula or Dooku or um, the evil wizard Gandalf, not Gandalf, he, that's a good one. What's the bad one? Zoran. We'll, Zoraman. You know, we'll, we'll go with Zoran. Uh, uh, Zoran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy from Power Rangers. Sorry, man. Zoraman. <laughs> I can't think. That's what he. That's what Tolkien gets for naming all those damn characters the same. Arwen and Arwen. Yeah. Please stop. And when the bag, the main bad guy, and the uh, Lee and that, and then Saren the, and Saruman. Yeah. Come yeah. on. I know it's an extension name, but still. Regardless, I it's. Think. I don't know what's going on there. And then all the dwarfs. You asshole. But uh, regardless, um, playing those roles, I'm like, yeah, he's a good, he's playing a baddie, but like seeing him as like a gentleman in like um, The Hound of uh, Baskersville yes. and this and some other things where he gets to speak, I'm like, he is really goddamn charming. And oh, I, I only had seen him do that kind of thing in like Horror Express or Raw Meat, which are both mm-hmm. great. But, you know, Cushion gets to do that more, Pleasance does it more, and Price is just outstanding. So it's like, 
I'm really digging Lee, and he, he was great in this movie, and he's like got that stern, like yeah. but moral compass about him in this. And you know, it's it's really weird, and, and I think it's because we know we know Lee like I oh, I know Lee from like more later movies where he's yeah. almost always a villain. Yeah. Um, and so when I see Lee show up on screen, I'm like, oh, he's up to no good. He's he's going to double cross him. He's in. I trust him. Like. No, he's actually a morally like outstanding citizen. I'm like, man, that's what I get for jumping to conclusions. But I, I always think he's up to no good, and, yeah. and I always like when he's not. This one mm-hmm. has some familiar faces that I love seeing popped up. It has the the heavy fat guy from um. No, that guy was in the Mummy. No, Mortimer was in. <laughs> not him. I'm talking oh, the about fat the fat guy. guy. Mortimer's kind of big. They're both big. Okay. But I'm talking about the fat guy who brought the mummy on the um, carriage. He was in the one. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah, he was in the Hound of Baskersville. Right. And he was in this. Okay. All right, there we go. And this one had Mortimer, who was mm-hmm. in the Howl of Baskersville, and he plays um, a, um, a chief, an inspector, and he's yeah. great in this, too. He's really uh, intimidating, too. And I want to see more of this guy. I don't know. I forget his name. I don't know his real name, but he pops up in The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, and I think that's the last Hammer movies in. Oh, okay. So I, we're I, gonna, I really like We're going to see him one more time. Uh, you know what? There's a great gag in this one that's priceless where um, – the lead, I can't think of his name. He has a famous name. He's just a German actor, like I said, and I've seen him before in a bunch of stuff. But he's going around trying to find a new doctor, mm-hmm. and he goes to like this yes. real shysty one, and it is about the best thing ever. That whole I'm not going to spoil, but that scene is probably the, the strongest scene in the whole movie. It actually made me gut laugh. Like It, out it loud. was good. It was really It was really good. great. And um, he's like, <laughs> it's, it's that type of gag where he's going to perform this surgery. And he's like, oh, like just doing. St-. He doesn't do that, but it might as He might as well, right? Um, what's his, uh, the, the old doctor was? You said the he was the old timer in Abominable Snowman yeah, with the weird accent. The, and the that Lama. actor, that actor has such some some really like he's one of these guys that English is not his first language. So he's right. like, he's just like talking like. Um, uh, Rube, uh, what's the the guy from um, the Burbs? I can't think of his name. Uh, the one guy. of the Klopeks. There's two yeah. old guys in the Burbs. Uh, what is his name? Ruben Klopek. I think it's Rube. Ruben. But he talks like him the whole time. Brother Theodore. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I can't understand a word this except less abrasive. I'm like, what? He was hard to understand the about with Snowman. <laughs> but, but, but this all one, I, I picked up really well. Um, I really liked him in this. I thought he was. He was my favorite part. If you're an old, like, good-natured doctor who's a little naive in a Hammer movie, mm-hmm. just kiss your ass goodbye. Yeah, you're dead. You're, you're, you're That's like being like a like a police chief two weeks from retirement. Not like, even a chief. Like, yeah, you're done for. Yeah, like in, a, in an actioneer movie or something, yeah. or like a, a crop movie, it's like, I'm two weeks to retirement. <laughs> oh, it's you're like, dead the next He's scene. a dead man. Sorry, guys. Middle-aged black man about to retire, just... Already throw You're the done. funeral when he's alive so he can say yeah. goodbye to his family. Because exactly. in those movies, stereotypical, he's going to die. At least he gets to go to the wake then. Yeah, um, at least he gets some good food. <laughs> right. But uh, this one, it, it I think it's pretty good. It does feel like a stage play. And there's times where I was like, slow. this is a little slow. Jeremy, this is a little slow. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm coming in around the same place as I did The Mummy. Six and a half, six, six and a half. I'm going to bump this one up. I'd say that out of five, I'd give it like four and a half. You're on drugs. No, I think I I really like these more like character driven, plot oriented ones. I, I do too, but I like that stuff. But I do like this one. Um, maybe it was because the food I ordered wasn't. Uh, what oh, but I yeah, we we got food. And <laughs> his wings were too small. And he got the jumbo size, and he was a little bit puffy, puffy over. <laughs> that, that's one thing people never take into consideration. Like that movie's so bad. I'm like, 
how was your mood? Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you're not in the mood for certain movies, and then they or they have certain expectations, and it's not that, and they blame the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not the movie's fault that you fucking woke up on the wrong side of the bed right. that day. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I would watch it again. Um, it's a good one. to. It's not gratuitously violent or gore no. or anything. No. And it is like a, you know, a hybrid of Lovecraftian, um, Dorian Gray. What's the guy who wrote Dorian Gray? I can't. Uh, Oscar Wilde. Oh. Oscar Wilde and Lovecraft kind of mix, but stage play. So it feels like, and, uh, and Dr. Jekyll too, who wrote yeah, that one. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Jekyll. Jeez, uh, Louis Stevens? Stevens? I can't think of his name. The guy who wrote Dr. Jekyll. I, I used to know, yeah. but I, I've lost some brain cells over the years. Regardless, it's like Dr. Jekyll, Dorian Gray, and Lovecraft on a stage. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's cool. Yeah. Enjoyable. And all good performances. And uh, the side characters are really fun, too. I think the side characters There's are very fun. limited characters, so they all do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. I want more Dr. Mortimer, or Inspector Mortimer. One more movie Mortimer. next week. Yeah. So it's uh, Brides of Dracula and Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. He's in The Jekyll? Yeah. He's not in Brides? No. He's not in anything else after that. He might be. I don't think he's in any Hammer movies. Maybe. I doubt it. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, You know, I think think we got... The last one's the last double feature so that we can go back to one uh, week, which will be nice. Cramming in these just so we can get 58 instead of 52 because I didn't want to leave any Hammer horror movie behind that I haven't covered. So What about that dinosaur one? It's a dinosaur movie. It's not a horror movie. Some of these aren't even horror movies. Some of these are thrillers. I don't know the difference. Uh, I don't know the it's, difference. It's so hard when people are like, not a horror movie. It's like, uh, and what? And then Greece, they don't throw everything in a horror. It's like four genres, subgenres are all considered genre pictures. I'm about to go on a rant, but I'll save it for later. All right, what is it? Oh, when, when that guy was like, what's your favorite horror movie? Uh, stop it. <laughs> all right, well, you guys have a good one. Right, Take care. Who must kill to live? He is 104 years old. Your eyes. What's wrong with your eyes? Yes, look at him well. This thief of time. This man who could cheat death. Who knows the secret of immortality. I've been taking this fluid every six hours now. It's madness. It is what keeps me alive. So you see, you must operate. You, you know what will happen if you don't. Yes, you will die. Liar. Cheat. Murderer. Offender against nature and God. See the liquid that cheats death. See what he steals from the tissues of his victims so that he may never grow old and never die. No, 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 don't, don't do it. Anton Differing is the man trapped by his own fearful invention. Hazel Court, the girl who knows his love, but not his shocking secret. George, I love you so much. Christopher Lee, the doctor who gleans the monstrous truth and must submit to blackmail to save the girl he loves. If you perform this operation and perform it successfully, I shall release her. If you don't perform this operation, or if anything should happen to me while you're operating, Janine will not be seen by you or anyone else again.
Okay, guys, the next one is The Pick a Movie by Mark Kider, and he picked Dead End Drive-In from Arrow Films. Yes, the Brian Treachered Smith movie. I had wanted to see this for years. I had this release for years. I had a DVD release for it before that. And always the cover, you know, a lot of people would think, what is this going to be, some like Warriors kind of movie? That's not what it is. Um... Dead End Drive-In is a strange film. It takes place in kind of a fallen society in Australia. And the whole economy seems to be run on uh, car wrecks and uh, wreckers picking up the cars and taking them in and selling them and getting money for them. But then there's a group of people that strip the cars and go for it. And the cops don't care about anything. The cops are crooked. It's definitely a totalitarian society where the government is fascist and they control everything. Uh, the lead of this movie is a young guy. He's a small guy, but he's always trying to put on weight, put on muscle to be bigger and go out and do the wrecker job. He has a job, though. He has a girlfriend. And what do they do in the spare time on the weekends to have fun? Like any other good family uh, or group or, or couple in the 80s they go to a drive-in yes but uh this is the dead end drive-in and when they go in there he asks uh ten dollars for a couple ten dollars a person or 350 for the unemployed and he tells him he's unemployed so he has to pay less he ends up getting trapped in this dead end drive-in and you realize that this is kind of a holding camp think Cuba or something like what they did with the people with HIV, like this holding camp for people that are kind of undesirables, the youth of this country that are undesirable, that are destroying society. So they're trapped. They can't get out. And it seems like everybody has accepted this except our lead. Even the lead's girlfriend seems to accept it. But everything follows these set rules where you have to eat at certain times. You can eat certain things and movies are your only entertainment. Um, they take apart his car. They keep stealing from his car so he can't escape. So he's trapped and he, this character, he doesn't want to be trapped he has his own thing he's his own person he definitely has his own idea of what he wants out of life even if it's in the outside world and it's dangerous there as well but he doesn't want to be here so that's basically the plot of the movie and he kind of wants to stand up and escape and the movie it takes a while to get started even though it's very short but once it gets started it almost feels like it's over if that makes any sense. There's some really good stunts towards the end of this movie. There's some good action. There's some good, you know, social commentary that happens almost in the middle uh, towards the end where it just flies in where you're showing like the racism between a divided nation automatically happening. Like these people are being controlled completely and no, they give them people who are their enemies instead of the government. The government in this movie, the police force is your enemies, but yet they put in foreign people or Chinese people or Asian people. I don't exactly know what group exactly because there's Indians in there as well um in there so that would be the focus of who they're against so it, it's very strange to do that you know i mean not strange but it's very you know a, a very good tactic by the you know police force to do that to these people but the lead sees right through it and that's why he wants to be out of this place just because he doesn't want to be trapped and all everybody seems to want to live there until they don't know what's going to happen to them. So that's the plot of the movie. It's basically, you know, uh, a look at you know, what could happen, a, a kind of a scary story of if the government took over in a, a futuristic society. It looks really good. I like the look of the movie. I like that they use the kind of classic cars. You see Bryant Treacher Smith movies playing on the uh, the drive-in screen like Turkey Shoot. So that, that's kind of fun. All around, it's a solid movie. It even ends with like your classic 80s song like kind of deal. I, I wish I would have saw it a lot younger. It looks good and it sounds good like visually and uh, the, the release itself. But it's something like not necessarily missing with it to me. It's just I, I kind of would have liked to dive in more into the action sequences because they're well shot when like squibs and everything goes on and there's some in the beginning as, as well and you, you kind of want to see what's in the real world a little bit more because that might be a little bit more interesting 
But, you know, he has obviously turmoil with some of the people inside the uh, dead-end drive-in. There's a nice little fight scene where he fights this completely big, goofy idiot. Um, and there's a, there's a couple sex scenes, so there's some nudity as well. And his girlfriend, good-looking, good-looking girl. So that that's nice to see that in there the sex scene how they like still has sex in the car and whatnot and then and just like it, you know it, it's an all right movie it's just something that i wish i would have saw earlier and i wish it would have dived a little bit deeper into certain things because they show a lot of different worlds or a lot of different aspects like you know the uh police force on the outside controlling people the police force in here bringing in those people so they can be at war with each other and then all that kind of stuff and then the action at the end it just never completely dives into anything enough to be one thing which isn't a bad or a good thing it's just that left me wanting a little bit more but that is dead end drive-in on the release there's some uh, old i think there's like some uh, commentary with the director and some other you know archival stuff with the director on set and whatnot but uh it's a pretty decent film we're checking out for sure stuntman Peter West gets it in the gonads uh, it's a repeated uh, image in my films people are always getting it in the groin Okay, guys, time for the pick a movie drawing. One name in a hat or the bag. And then we're going to go to the second bag. So it's kind of pointless and I guess a little anticlimactic to draw it from that. But this is Kentucky uh, Cockatator. So let me know what you want me to check out. And I guess we're going to hop into the questions. We got uh, Flacca Coop. Pretty idiot here. What is a needle drop actually? Last week I mentioned needle drop just in the Ted Bundy movie, kind of a to drop a song into a movie to elevate the scene. See through nedulas are. Uh, I always say that word wrong for some reason. I, I read it in my head correctly, then when I go to say it, it's always wrong. Would you ever do a purge uh, sale of doubles you have in your collection? I just can't stand filler doubles in a collection unless it's personal favorites. I did some of the DVDs that had the same stuff on the Blu-rays. I got rid of them. You know, I still have tons and tons of DVDs that I don't have like sitting out. They're like pushed back kind of hidden um that i do have on blu-ray now that i probably could sell but sometimes i like to hold on to it if i want to rip like the uh, commentary or something like that so i would eventually possibly if i had the time to list it and go through all of them but i don't so tim hayes speaking of the ted bundy movie you're reviewing this video reminds me have you ever seen helter's kelter starring steve rails becca's charles manson was a two-part miniseries on cap on the capture and trial of charles manson and his gang also starred marilyn burns christina hart 
Um, no, I actually haven't seen that. I've wanted to see that for years. Um, I think I should watch that very soon. Um, and he also asked, was Donald Pleasance was a very unpleasant actor for you to see in THX 1138? I didn't mean unpleasant like I don't like seeing him. I love Donald Pleasance. He was just very unpleasant force in that movie. He was creepy, and it was, he did a good job. Nick Mua, you started, you wanted, uh, you stated you wanted to watch The Mist in black and white. Have you made a short film or feature in black and white? If not, would you like to? I've never directed one myself, but I've been in a few. I've been in the short abduction, which I kind of helped come up with the concept. And I was in Apple Cart, um, the movie, Apple Cart, the pilot, and Rip, which is not yet released. So I've been in a bunch of black and white stuff. So I just never made it myself. I would like to, but I would like to learn lighting a little bit more before I tackle something like that. Would you consider watching Deadwood, the movie? I don't know if you saw the TV show or not. I did see some of the TV. My parents love, they adored Deadwood. I, I did see some of the show too, and I liked what I saw. I would like to watch the entire series before I saw the movie though, but I would consider watching that. Many believe streaming is the only way forward. Nikki Six recently said that the biopic that Dirt made about his band Motley Crue would only ever be available via streaming because it's the future. Because you ever get used to watching films solely on an iPhone or computer screen? Only on an iPhone or computer screen? Absolutely not. I try not to watch anything on my computer. You know, sometimes you'll get screeners that you only can watch on your computer and it looks like shit. And you're like, eh, I'd rather just wait. I'll wait till it's DVD or Blu-ray. Sorry, I'm not going to review it because I can't see what the hell's going on in your dark screen. If, if they could get it to the TV, I might. But I wouldn't. if that was the only viable way, I really would be very, very disappointed. And Nikki Six recently said we're not releasing. He's like, eh, who cares? He does music anyways. You don't know about film. Now, obviously he does, but still the point is like, I don't care what he thinks. Uh... Answers. Um, last week I asked what everybody's favorite heavy metal or rock and roll horror movie was. Jonathan Wilhelm, favorite heavy metal movies, Trick or Treat, Rocktober Blood, Demons 1 and 2. Yeah. Front Desk Matt, can I pick Maximum Overdrive uh, as a hard rock horror movie? It did have music from ACDC. Another guilty pleasure, actually. Love Maximum Overdrive. That is like the king of the best uh, good bad movies. Uh, Mood 616. Um, he says, Rock and Roll Nightmare is my pick for favorite rock and roll flick. Long live Thor. Uh, LOL. And then he said he didn't even know that Raro did. Yeah, thanks, man. And then we have uh, uh, Uzi Suicide 666. That's a crazy name. Uh, the Gate. That's a good one. Uh, ben Miller. This is actually a question from uh, last week that uh, came through about filmmakers that he never got into. Uh, filmmaker I never got the appeal of. There, there are the easy ones like Ule Bull and Michael Bay, but I'll just tread up towards unpopular opinions. I want to start by saying I don't hate him or his movies aren't bad from what I've seen, but I just can't get in the Jim Jarmusch. Never absolutely loved anything he did, but I don't really... Um, but did really have to stop any movie of his so far. I don't understand that sentence a little mixed up. I'd give more of his stuff a chance, but would never blind by. Now for controversy. Never got the hype for Edgar Wright. Maybe it's just my humor, but the only thing of his I ever liked was uh, that much was the fake trailer of Don't. That's about all from him I'd ever watch again. Ooh. I like him. Uh, Door Kitty Films. Army. Never got the appeal of Woody Allen. That's another one. And this isn't a question, or this isn't um, an answer. But uh, the Mystagogue, he wrote something super nice. I think it's a, a he, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just want to read it um, and just to give him, you know, thanks. I'm going to gush a bit. Whenever I watch these, it's not to boost my ego. I just want to give him a genuine uh, thank you. 
I'm going to gush a bit whenever I watch these. I feel that Mr. Parker's individual vids should have thousands of thousands of views. The horror community is so big, and Mr. Parker covers even more than that. I don't understand why everyone isn't coming here first for their fun, informative genre mix. The length of these things is a feat in itself. It's a frickin' program. Over the years, Mr. Parker has really evolved. He's a true pro-slash-critic-slash-expert on exploitation and genre film now. He knows the actors, the directors, the producers, the effects people, the DVD labels, and everything they put out. He could tell you all about it. I appreciate that he's not a character and isn't a manic YouTuber yelling at the screen trying to create false enthusiasm. He is critical but not snarky and judgmental and respects the material. I really love his work. It's a true resource. He always exposing me to titles that I either missed, never heard of, or are just being released. Mr. Park is the real deal. And looking at the dozens of horror schlubs reviewing movies from home, he's a re horror reviewer slash sex symbol even if he doesn't know it. This is the best genre review channel on YouTube that lives by knowledge, sincerity, drive, and charisma of its host. I really appreciate it. Didn't have to shoot down the other guys, though, huh? I'm just, I'm just kidding. But I really appreciate that. But I must say myself, like, I, I, I listen to a lot of other, you know, podcasts and listen to commentaries and things like that and other analysts and stuff. I wouldn't call myself an analyst, but other people like that. And I, I, I hear what I like and I try to incorporate some of what they do. So I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, like somebody that is completely original at all. You know, I don't think anybody really is. But, you know, I like to hear people that are obviously more intelligent than me talk about films and try to grasp why I like listening to them myself. And so I want to give credit to the people that I listen to, you know, like on commentaries and other YouTubers, some other YouTubers, mostly podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and things like that. So like, I just want to give shout-outs to a lot of that. And people I've previously talked about that know a lot about film and stuff. And that those are the people that, you know, kind of make me feel like, you know, I've evolved seeing other people that do a better job than myself and just try to, you know, grasp why I, like, enjoy watching them. But I really appreciate the kind words, and I'm glad you enjoy the show and everything like that. Uh, much love, you know. Thank you. I guess... I'm going to ask the question of the week. So I want to get ahead a little early. Um, you know, this whole year I'm doing uh, Hammer Horror stuff. And uh, so it would be 52 weeks. We're only like week five, though. But I want to know what you guys think would be a great segment for next season or next year. Should I do Universal Horror? Should I do a year? Should I do a genre? Let me know. Should I do a label? Cover a whole label for a whole year? Just let me know what would interest you guys the most. But uh, I think we're going to hop into the update now. Okay, guys, let's hop into this update. First, we have some from the Vinegar Syndrome sale. Night Beast, Don Dolor. I haven't seen this in years. Looking forward to checking it out. Remember it being gooey, gory fun. Uh, nice little hard box on here. Yeah, his hands tear through flesh and bone. Yeah, that's a cheesy... He looks like, like a turd or like the monster from the willies, but I remember always enjoying that one. Cool stuff. Um, Satan's Slave. Yeah, this is by... Who is this? This is like Norman uh, Norman Warren. Uh, yeah, that director or Warren Norman. It's Warren Norman, I think. That's like a tongue twister for me. But he did a bunch of stuff. The only one I remember off the top of my head that I know I've seen is Inseminoid, the alien kind of ripoff. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Love what Vinegar Syndrome does. I wish I could just review their movies sometimes. Just review all Vinegar Syndrome for like a month. Um, then we have Lust uh, in the Dust. Has Divine in here. Yeah. Is this a Paul Bartel movie? I actually really like Paul Bartel, to be honest. Uh, he did Death Race 2000. And uh, he did a wonderful movie called um, Body uh, Private Parts. And then he did a really great movie called um, Eating Raul, which I absolutely love. So, yeah, I think he did this one as well. This is a Western with Divine. I'm interested in checking out for sure. So I always put, gotta, I got to treat these nice. Got to put them away. And then we have Mo, uh, Mountaintop Motel Massacre. I had seen this, 
And uh, when I was a kid, and I distinctly remember making sure that the body count was at least seven so it could be qualified as a massacre. That's what weird kids do. Oh, that's a weird cover I've never seen before. I actually never had a chance to open it up. <laughs> what the fuck is that? But uh, yeah, um, this movie is okay. I don't remember it being anything special, but I'm sure Vinegar Syndrome remastered this thing to look like gold. So I'll be pretty, uh, interested in checking it out again. And we got Goodbye Gemini, which I remember being a really weird kind of like incestuous twist thing and I it's been a long time since I watched this movie but yeah I want to check it out again this is a scorpion releasing and I, I bought this again for the third freaking time just before dawn not a fan of the cover but everybody said that already so um but I guess it's a new transfer uh I remember this movie being pretty solid um George Kennedy Greg Henry slasher movie 81 I think so yeah I'm gonna revisit it in, with a 4k scan and then we got uh, this one I really wanted to see, Knife Plus Heart. This is supposed to be a weird kind of Giallo-inspired, like, strange uh, film about a woman who directs gay pornos and everybody she comes in contact with is getting slashed and hacked. I don't know, but that sounds weird to me and interesting to me all at the same time. But yeah, Knife Plus Heart. Really want to check this one out because I'm a weirdo. Then we got uh, some Steven Seagal goodness. Marked for Death. I don't know if I've actually seen this one, but I'm not a huge Seagal fan himself, but his early stuff had good action and stuff like that and good baddies, so I'm going to check him out. Then we got uh, Out for Justice. I know I had seen this one on television before with William Forsythe as the baddie. Love William Forsythe. Another, another Stephen Seagal one. I don't know if I would have ordered this if I knew that the... the um, Proof of the UPC was uh, slashed. I hate when they do that kind of shit. They sell it like it's brand new, and then the UPC's all slashed out. It was cheap, though. It was like 7 bucks shipped. And you guys are going to laugh at me, but who? Mr. Parka did Disney Club. Mr. Parka did do Disney Club, but I did it for certain movies. This one, I just did it. So I, you, you, it's a club thing. You get like five free movies, but you got to purchase four or five more over the next two years or something like that at premium price. But uh, yeah, Beauty and the Beast, this was the one that they... I, I had a chance to buy when I checked out to take one of mine out. And I, you know, I'm not the world's biggest, you know, classic cartoon fan like this. These movies are I've seen as a kid, but this was a good price and I figured I'd take one of mine out. So yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but I wanted to get some of these. This is one, Return to Oz. I heard this movie is an acid trip. So yeah, and the original Wizard of Oz is a classic. Come on. So um, this is the only way you could get it. So I wanted to check it out, Return to Oz. I've never seen it, so... Then we have another one, um, Escape to Witch Mountain. I've heard these Disney horror movies are kind of cool. I've never seen it. So I'm hoping they release something wicked this way comes. I love that movie to death. It's a, it's a childhood favorite, and I still love it. So then check Escape to Witch Mountain out. And then we have Return from Witch Mountain. This one has Christopher Lee in it, so it can't be all bad. Right, guys? And, uh, yeah, I want to check these out. Like I said, they're exclusives, which is kind of crazy because some of these movies are pretty big and it's a way to get you to sign in. But hey, another Disney exclusive one. I haven't seen this as a kid. I love this growing up. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, this was like, what, written by Stuart Gordon? And then uh, he was kicked off directing at the last minute. So yeah, I'm excited to rewatch this one. I loved it growing up. I think I still think it will hold up. Rick Moranis is cool, so... And then last is a DVD from the Disney Movie Club. This is uh, Mr. Boogity and the Bride of Boogity. I've never seen these. I don't know how they are. I don't know if it's blind nostalgia why people still like them. But, um, yeah, I'm going to check them out regardless. So, yeah, I guess we're going to hop back to the video. All right, thank you very much, guys, for watching. As always, you guys have a good one. Mm.